perfect. And away we go. Is film like milk? Yes. It's got culture in it. And it's. Mm. Damn it. Leche. <laughs> Whole milk, skim milk, medium milk. I have nipples, Greg. Could you milk Could me? Could you milk me? Hi, and welcome back to Age Like Milk, the podcast where we decide if a film has gone bad in the mind fridge of your mind. I am one of your hosts, Paris Herbert Taylor, and with me coming in hot and heavy with a Tommy gun is my friend, David William Rogers. Hello to you. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> What's happening? That's exactly, exactly the uh, sound effects <laughs> from the movie that we're doing together. Exactly that. Yeah. Uh, David, what is the film that we are doing on this fine episode? The film we are doing is Bonnie and Clyde, 1967, directed mm-hmm. by Arthur Penn, writing credits David Newman, Robert Benton, and an uncredited credit, um, Robert Town. Mm. So this movie is kind of stacked for who was in this earlier on in their careers, Warren Beatty, Faye Dunaway, Gene Hackman. So um, yeah, there's a decent amount of talent in this. And I was fascinated with a lot of stuff that I read in the background in the making mm-hmm. of this movie and the traction it got or didn't get to start with. So I'm eager to talk about it. Have you seen this movie before? I had never seen this movie before. Never in my life. Had you? I'd seen parts of it just randomly on TV, things mm-hmm. like that. I knew uh, when you mentioned it, I knew Warren Beatty was in it, things like that. I didn't mm-hmm. remember Gene Hackman, stuff like that. Faye so. Dunaway, yeah. Dun- yeah. Yeah, some classic people. So we're not doing this episode alone, David. We have a fine guest joining us today. I'm very excited to welcome Olivia Stambola. Did I say that right? I did get prepped. Stam- no, nobody said- ever, ever I does. It so up. it's okay. No, you didn't. It's Stambolia. Stambolia. Okay, well, I but yes, Olivia is joining us. We actually recently met a few months ago at an Australian Women in Film event. You were standing near the bar and I love a free bar. So of course we became friends. I walked right <laughs> up to you and said, hello, you know, and grabbed a champers. And Olivia is also a fellow Aussie. She's an actress, most recently and most excitingly in the Michael Bay film that you may have seen advertised, Ambulance which, um, surprise, takes place mainly in an ambulance. Uh, I hope that's not a spoiler. But Olivia, you're an Aussie. You've also worked on a ton of different things. I've got your IMDb here. So Golden Arm, The Walking Dead, Ingenie. I'm saying that wrong. You were the casting director on that. Holy shit. Um, Yeah, you've done tons of stuff. Soulmates, Hiding, Pack to the Rafters, a classic Australian show. Classic, David. If you haven't checked that out, we have to get you into that show. So Olivia, what brings you to LA and tell us how your career kind of got started in this crazy acting world? Ah, it's so good to be speaking with both of you. So thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, What brought me to LA was applying for my green card. When I was in Australia, I thought to myself, I will regret it if I don't try, if I don't try Hollywood. So I applied, took three and a half years to sort of come through because I was touring um, with a play called Frankenstein um, that opened at the Opera House and we did the whole east coast of Australia in seven months and uh, wow. and then I finally got approved and I thought, yep, yeah, I'm going to do it. And so I sort of packed everything up and moved here. It's amazing. Was that that scary at all? Very, very scary. It was so intimidating. Even just getting out at LAX, I thought, what have I done? (laughs) 
Gotta um, risk it though, right? You know, Miley Cyrus has a song about that. You just hop off the plane at LAX with your dream and your cardigan, I think it is. I believe it's a cardigan. It's not you, a pullover. Yeah, you, or a jumper. And you, you know what? You wouldn't want a cardigan because it's really hot at the moment. So, so hot. Maybe so just hot. like a short sleeve t-shirt. But so you're here. And then mm -hmm. tell us how you got started in acting because, you know, I feel like in Australia, that's people in LA, you say you're an actor, like everyone's an actor, but in Australia, you say you're an actor and people kind of look at you like you're a bit crazy. I feel. That's so true. Um, well, I think I didn't grow up in a family that was uh, in the entertainment industry at all. Um, my dad's a psychologist. My mom was an English teacher before she had five kids. They had five Damn. kids and I'm number two. And I think I just, um, I just always imitated family members or people on TV and started to get that reaction <laughs> from people and chase that dragon really. Uh, and then in high school, it was an actual subject and I started to learn and I started to understand, Oh, hang on, there's a craft here. Um, and then I didn't want to go to university or college. My uh, some of my drama teachers said, you know, you can actually go to university for acting. And I went, hmm? and so that's I started auditioning and I uh, got rejected a few times, but then got in and off I went. So which, you auditioned for school to be able to I, get in that program. That's correct. Yeah. Which which school did you attend? I went to Theatre Nepean at the okay. University of Western Sydney, which is no longer there. The program has um, dissolved, which is really sad. That's a bummer. Is anyone that you went to school with also pursuing an acting career? Yes, my best friend, um, actually, Yvonne Strahovski. She, we actually went to high school together. Nice. I was the year above her in high school, but we met doing a kind of gifted and talented drama ensemble. Yeah. <laughs> where they delightful. Where they, I know it's very very wanky, but they they kind of cherry picked two. Um, students from each year seven to 12 and we all kind of got together and did projects um lots of street theater in in sydney on trains etc and um and then i uh ended up being the year below her at theater Nepean. Oh, so she and then pipped yeah. you she was above she was the senior that's right i know she was i ended up auditioning um i did a one-year acting course at nida Oh. National Institute of Dramatic Arts. And then I uh, didn't get into the long program and decided to take a year off and, and travel, which was really, really nice. Fun fact, I also auditioned for NIDA and also didn't get in and also auditioned for VCA. And the Victorians were like, you can get the fuck out of here. But um, <laughs> NIDA. What did you audition for? Is for the acting school. For the acting? So yeah. in Australia, it's a little different than America, I guess. Like we have, what would you say? Like, five or six or maybe up to 10, like really good, you know, acting schools that are highly regarded. NIDA is probably the most famous. It's the National Institute of Dramatic Arts. Um, so many famous people went through there. Like I'm trying to think, uh, Naomi, well, I, I don't want to fuck it up, but like they, they have like a very amazing pedigree and it's extremely competitive. Obviously, mm -hmm. I think they probably take, do you know how many they take every year? Is it like 12? It's not many. Yeah. It, I don't think it would be more than you know, 15, I don't yeah. I doubt. And that's nationwide, you know, and you have to think this isn't just people auditioning straight out of college or straight out of high school. This is like people across the board, you know, from mm. all walks of life. And 
It's super competitive. Uh, it's sort of like an open house. It sort of reminds me of that movie, Save the Last Dance with Julia Stiles. I was going to say, when she was uh, auditioning for Juilliard. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty much like that. And you just show up. And I, if I recall, and maybe you auditioned more recently than me, Olivia, but uh, it was like, <laughs> there was like the first day was, you know, like improv type things. And oh. I don't know. It's just, and then it's a lot of like very stern faced, you know, acting teacher types sort of with a clipboard <laughs> judging you. And you're just like, please like me. Exactly. David Absolutely. Shakespeare. Oh, I certainly, Paris, I didn't. I, I auditioned in the year 2000, so that was definitely not recent. But I remember being gathered in the room before the audition with all the other um, sweaty people. Hopefuls, as they Hopefuls. say. Hopefuls. Um, and I remember Jennifer Hagen standing there with the clipboard and she had her glasses down and she said, 99% of actors don't work if if you uh, <clears throat> think that you can't handle that, please stand up and leave. And a bunch of people would get up and leave. What and I the thought, fuck? yeah, I mean, that statistic is for real. Yeah. And I just remember sitting there and in my head, I was like, no, nope, I'm that 1%. No, nope, mm-hmm. I'm that 1%. You know, it's stupidly. Just, I, I mean, just, if, yeah, people are going to leave. They're going to leave at some point. So you, yeah. you might as well get up and get out of there right then. But, and I'm not trying to shit on Australians and please don't excommunicate me because I still love my community and I will continue to support Australian talent. That kind of cutting you off before you've even had a chance to grow is sometimes the things that I think back to Australia and like, what I don't miss about the industry, you know, like, because we Mm -hmm. are so taught as Australians. I think we've talked about this before, David, there is a syndrome in Australia called tall poppy syndrome. Mm -hmm. And it's basically like, if you grow up too high, your neighbor can come and sort of cut you down and be like, oh, you think you're better than, you know, the rest of these poppies, you know, whereas in America, like that, I mean, Elon Musk bought Twitter for $44 billion, million dollars. And it's like, no one ever told him, you you can't um be anything you know like it's just the american mentality yeah, is like, well, a lot of oh, that's a good... i mean people shit on them for tesla they thought that wasn't a great idea like vcs people like invested with them and there's always going to be naysayers but that's right. the test that olivia got the lady said listen most of you in here aren't going to make it and she was like well fuck it let's do it let's see about that so it's just i think that lady that teacher was getting that mindset like don't waste my time don't waste yours you got to have that mindset to push for your dream and for your goal. I get what you're saying. And I'm not saying we, and PS side note, um, for those that don't know, Elon Musk comes from a very wealthy family. So it's not like he pulled himself up by his bootstraps. (laughs) So let's just backtrack that because there are a lot of very wealthy and successful actors in Hollywood now, but I will say one thing. Kim Kardashian, she did it herself. That was a a joke. Okay. I was like, yes, I have to say, I, I don't disagree with you. I think that's been that's been something that I've wrestled with, the the tall poppy syndrome because I, moving to the United States and really being you know let's say the mecca of of Western storytelling sure. over here, yeah, I've really noticed the difference mm-hmm. and and Australia is uh, a very small pool and uh, if you don't fit in with that clique and you're swimming upstream. See you later. Yeah, we we call that here crabs in the bucket, right? Uh-huh. So crab, one crab's trying to get out. Isn't there a pill for that, David? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a cream. Mm. Um, but, <laughs> but 
but yeah, like, you know, one crab's trying to get out, the rest of the crabs in the bucket are trying to pull that crab down. So yeah, there's, there's times in your life, you're just going to have to go against the grain. For sure. And, yeah. I, I will say as an outsider, though, I find Americans more optimistic. Maybe Absolutely. that's, maybe that's California. You know, there are, obviously, there's a lot of people peddling acting schools in LA and there's a lot of people who have stars in their eyes. But I think one thing that's different between Australians and Americans, maybe this is just my take. I don't know if that many Americans would have stood up in that room, Olivia, like, you know, because I agree with you. everybody I here is like, I can do it. I can be a star. I can, mm -hmm. you know, there's just that confidence because it's not baked into their DNA to even doubt themselves before the fucking audition. Whereas in Australia, so some of that that hard truth telling is i think what some people in the u.s need because when i was like in wisconsin and um you know finding any avenue i could to like do a monologue in front of somebody right there was a bunch of companies that were selling dreams right and they just a bunch of people show up they say they're in casting or they're saying agent manager and really they are just funneling people's like kids with dreams money and they put you in a hotel um, conference room you they pick you but everybody pays to do yeah. that anyways that's, you know and that's then it's pay like, to oh, play okay. yeah but that's what i'm saying so there's, i mean there's, there's th those things that. exist in australia too man mm -hmm. i there was this there was this brand when i was growing up called supre do you remember that brand olivia i uh, what do you mean remember i still have some of their <laughs> undergarments okay i well, swear by them okay well i was a supre model and walked in a fashion show and i now come to realize at the ripe old age of 30 something that my parents paid for that privilege so don't <laughs> try to tell me <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> and if you see the pictures, I was not a model. I was so awkward. You know, can I had get some of those. I'm sure I can. Well, maybe. But you know, I had like the butterfly <laughs> clips, and I thought I was the shit. But yeah. Anyway, I, I just think it's interesting. I think it's different. I'm not shitting the Australian system. You know, look at the amount of Australians crushing it. Like I just pulled up Yvonne's um, IMD. Obviously, I know her name, but I totally forgot all these things that she was in, like The Handmaid's Tale, Dexter. Like she's crushing it. Predator. Like she's crushing it. But like you said, it's already a small percentage of people that get work. Australia is a country of, what are we, 30 million now? You know, 20 million something. Mm -hmm. And I get that it's a harsh truth, but I also don't love, like if I had stayed in Australia and worked my way up, I don't think I would be anywhere close to like where I am now in my mm -hmm. career. And <laughs> it's just because I wasn't from an elite family. I don't have connections. And there's just not that many opportunities. So, so there's more opportunity in the U.S. to sure. actually come come from like no kind of background, no connection, and be able to grind right. your way. If you're Absolutely. a hard worker, yeah, if you're a good person, and nobody's nobody nobody's here. Well, people will still tell you that you can't do it. But Olivia, like, correct me if I'm wrong. Like, do you feel like now that you're in the U.S., like you've got so many more doors open for you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I can tell you, I never imagined myself being um, in a Michael Bay action film mm -hmm. ever, ever. I, um, I had very high hopes of, you know, being in, um, you know, a, a wonderful sort of biopic or, mm -hmm. you know, uh, some beautiful period piece or something really gritty and uh, independent, but to be something to be in something like that as one of one of the first few big gigs here for me yeah. is pretty 
it's pretty astonishing. I'm still a little bit um, gobsmacked by it, to be you honest. Cru- you crushed it, first yeah. of all. So, like, I'm not even just blowing smoke or anything like that. It was... Great use of that was... term. I don't know if that's... I think that's an Australian term. I don't know if I taught you that. <laughs> no, I, I've heard that before. You heard that? Okay, good yeah. news. Um, but, like, watching that movie and not knowing that you're sitting a few seats away from me, but it was just, like, a reaction. Like, everything you said was, like, hilarious or funny, right, in the situations you were in with... I think the guy who like ran the other task force that back and forth was fantastic. So Thanks, yeah, you did a great job. And, and that was like the parts that stuck out to me watching that movie. I've seen we, Michael Bay movies, you know, yeah. a lot of action, but those, those points he has in these movies that are just like the funny back and forth. Yeah, oh, I really, memorable. really appreciate that. Yeah. Let's yeah. Ju- let's Thank talk you. about ambulance for a minute if we are allowed to. So mm-hmm. how many days did you shoot? 38. 38 you were on set for that uh, i i would have been on set for maybe 25 Jeez. 28 of those That's um yeah but the whole film was 38 days which is not that many days for those that don't know it's um that's for the amount of stuff that you shot that's pretty crazy and then how long were you on sweet girl paris like six months I was, well, I went for prep and, but I think we had 53 shoot days, which, you know, that movie's not anywhere. I mean, we still have like big scenes and stunts and stuff, but you guys, I mean, it's a Michael Bay film. If you don't know what a Michael Bay film is, like, it's a lot of explosions. It's a lot of car chases and and action. So yeah, it's pretty crazy. And you guys shot mostly downtown LA, right? We did downtown LA, uh, Boyle Heights, um, kind of used a lot of the freeways here and yeah it, did, it, it yeah did you shoot a lot in the mornings like how, how when they're like permitting i'm just curious about you know getting because they had all the highways shut down yeah again. all that stuff did you guys shoot really early towards yeah, the sun yeah. you know dawn like how did how both we did both we did uh we do early mornings usually out on the streets um on location and then during the days um we would go into the studio, which we had simultaneously. Sometimes we were working both. And then, uh, you know, to get those beautiful sunset shots, we were out back on location, which is his iconic shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I will tell you, those explosions and car stunts and things that you see, they happen once mm-hmm. and once only. So we're rigging for two days for that one massive uh, massive explosion that happens. I don't want to spoil things, but mm-hmm. yeah, the, those things. So we would shoot around it, we'd gorilla style shoot around the rigging of, of something. And he'd be like, okay, let's, let, let's jump in the MCU and let's, you know, grab a couple of things here. And you're like, great. Okay. It's happening. It's pretty much, you have to sort of, I, I did so much prep with the script <laughs> and then I learned day one, you just, almost have to just dissolve it really and 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 go on the fly because so much of it was improvised mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's amazing obviously so the film has jake gyllenhaal yaya abdul mateen two second the um, second isa gonzalez who's amazing garrett who you pretty much worked opposite for mm-hmm. a bit garrett dillahunt just like so many cool people in this film what was uh, a memory from the film that you can share with us uh, something that was maybe a little bit behind the scenes oh my gosh so many things but this was probably the biggest uh when we were we had those two days that we were rigging for the climactic explosion scene mm-hmm. um we were in boyle heights and we had all the streets 
locked off because they were they were lining up the the ground with just tons and tons of explosives <laughs> and gunpowder and we're all sitting there kind of waiting to to shoot and this car starts slamming through the barricade <gasps> through the police uh the actual police barricades that we had for filming and it flies right through comes towards me as I was sitting in my car on my break, trying not to get sunburned, it comes right towards me. I jump out of my car. This is all filmed, by the way. Uh, I jump out of my car because I think it's coming towards me. I'm going to get like smashed in the car. The car does a a few swerves and then smashes again into one of the other big uh, security sort of street signs. Everyone gets out of their cars and starts screaming. Then the car backs up and goes around, flies around again. And we're going, what is happening? Then it comes around again. And this woman is in the car and she's, she's pretty much having a breakdown in the car, but she's about to drive through and she could have killed everybody because the floor was rigged with all of the explosives. So we had a literal ambush (laughs) can I say, um, through it. So police people were able to stop her because the car crashed headfirst and she was having a moment, like uh, I think a mental health crisis of some sort. So uh, real real police came, they held her, they put her in a, I think, what what is it, a 5150? Yeah, and um, kind of took her away. But I have to say that was probably one of the most confronting experiences for everybody because Mm. we one, it came out of nowhere because the environment felt so controlled for two days. Um, and then knowing that the streets were lined with so much gunpowder w- yeah. was terrifying. And it's literally like we've got the our phone, like some of the hair and makeup people and costume people who I'm friends with, they filmed it. Jesus. And they were like, it was terrifying. I hope she, you know, got the help that she yeah. I do too. Needed. I do too. That's so I- rough. I do too, but hey, it's LA. I mean, I, I didn't think you were coming with with that kind of story. I know <laughs> that that's is, pretty crazy, especially nuts. on a Michael Bay movie. He's like, "JK, that was me the whole time. I was just getting you guys prepared." Obviously, like as an actor, you'd be like, "All right, let's shoot something." Yeah, right let's now, use with this it. emotion. Totally. Yeah. Well, basically, all right, all right. I'll, I'll give you something lighter. Um, on our last last uh, micro shoot um, with myself, Garrett, Keir, and that was it in the car. That that was actually the final day shooting. Mm. Um, he just comes up, Bay just comes up to us in the car, me and Garrett, and he goes, okay, uh, so Cheetos gave us a bit of money. Uh, so, uh, here. And he just threw us the Cheeto packet. He goes, here, uh, we got to get in the film somehow. (laughs) So so Garrett and I just looked at each other and we're like, "Mm -hmm, okay. And we just started rolling. Cameras were just on. So that's so uh, fun. You'll see that moment. That's amazing. And yeah. so how, okay, so we're obviously recording this ahead of before it's released, but do you know how much longer people have in the cinema to go catch it? Yes, I believe it closes in the U.S. Thursday because it starts Thursday, streaming Thursday here. which The 27th of April. So people might not catch it before this episode comes out, but that's okay. Hopefully that's okay. in retrospect. Start streaming on the 27th? Yeah. Uh, uh, do you know what platform? No, I think it starts streaming on the 29th. And I think it's Amazon Prime. Okay. Yeah. Amazon so you, Prime. You, I mean, I think everybody should see this movie in the theaters because I do it's too. got so many explosions and it's just like such a visual 
excitement and just one of those classic movies. That you, movie. Yeah, yeah, just a classic like good time at the movies. However, if you know, not everyone's comfortable going to the movies still right now, and also some people can't afford it or whatever. Um, but streaming is great, and I think you should definitely watch it and see our girl Olivia crush again yeah. and all the scenes. Thank you. So, all right, well, we'll ask you a couple more questions at the end about you know things and advice and whatever. But before we get too long in the tooth, let us turn now to <laughs> 1967, another kind of explosion-y, car chase type movie, if yeah. you will. Bonnie and Clyde, 1967. So Olivia, this was your pick. And you texted me earlier when we were confirming that you love this movie. So what made you choose this movie to review again? Well, I actually realized that I was like David and I'd only seen parts of it. Damn, okay. So I kind of lied and cheated on that. And, um, but it, can I just say it's what a serendipitous film to have chosen because it's literally a car chase with an ambush ending. I mean, I had no idea that it was going to have those parallels. I genuinely didn't. Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm kind of thrilled. I, I had always been fascinated by the, um, the myth of Bonnie and Clyde. And I think I actually smoked my first cigar when I was in sixth grade at a, <laughs> yes, I know, at a, at a dress up party that somebody had. And mm. I went as uh, one of the, you know, Bonnie or Clyde. I can't remember which one I went as, but I had a, my dad's trench coat. And nice. uh, so probably I went as Clyde, uh, <clears throat> non-binary before it was a thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I was just always fascinated with that, with that world. I, would, I have to say I loved watching this film this weekend. I yeah. really did. I, I, found, I found it so fascinating to watch, uh, you know, watch the shots, watch the story unfold with that particular pacing without the technology of over-editing mm. or, you know, how they actually, even the sounds, David, even the way they did yeah. the, gun, the gunshots and the reactions to even having pistols. I found that really fascinating. A lot of the the characters, when they would see Clyde's pistol or Bonnie's pistol, their response, mm. I found that really interesting because nowadays in contemporary films, it's kind of a, almost a given that there's going to be a weapon in some, right. in some form. So yeah. I just... I found that really interesting. This it was film- like, whoa, when the gun was introduced, especially well, this- mm-hmm. when when mm-hmm. he pulled it out at first to show Bonnie and he was like looking away, kind of like, yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, like, hold on now, I'm about this life. Yeah. And she was like, she calling bullshit and she was like, oh. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to be real transparent with you guys. I thought this, I am so glad I watched this movie, but whilst watching it, I was like, what the fuck is happening? Truly, for like <laughs> maybe three quarters of it. And also I want to talk about Blanche, who in my mind, was the most hysterical character I've ever seen on a screen. But yeah, I, absolutely. I want to say when I did, so I actually found the, in researching this film that I actually appreciated it more because it was the first film that really showed true violence and sex. Because you have to think 1967, like the senses were still pretty strict. And a lot mm. of film before this, this is kind of at the tail end of the new wave cinema. Um, when you break down film into, you know, the different sort of like how you do with art, whatever, like, oh, this is impressionist. This was the end of the new wave. So they actually approached quite a few French directors to see if they would be interested. Um, spoiler alert, they all said no. However, 
it sort of brought to filmmaking violence. So you actually see a guy get shot in the face. This was the first film to really use squibs a lot. So like Michael Bay, you're welcome. Like where things are exploding out of people's clothes and you see blood, but also the insinuation of sex. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you see Bonnie played by Faye Dunaway kind of naked in the beginning. It was all very scandalous and all very like groundbreaking. So for that reason, I appreciate this film. From a watching standpoint, do you guys agree with me that there was a lot of random things happening? There was no backstory on why Bonnie just decided to leave her shitty town to go with Clyde. I was like, what girl? Yeah, what? Real, real quick. We forgot to do the synopsis. So oh. let's just we'll do say it. We'll, we'll, real... do it at, we'll do it at the end. Okay. We'll, well, then I mean, you're kind of discussing it right okay. now. So we yeah. can just say these two people who probably shouldn't be dating meet, yeah. each, meet each other. Get horny just, for crimes. Horny for crimes at each other. And they just go off on just a spree of crime, murder, and it's just going down, down, down. And they're pushing each other harder and harder. They meet up with um, Clyde's brother and his wife. They get in on the crime and it ends in this horrific fashion because they get set up by one of their partner's fathers. Mm -hmm. And yeah, Paris, to your point, that's one of the most things I respect about this movie Mm -hmm. is like the violence that they portray Mm -hmm. because it's still like, it's like a little eerie and it's like, oh shit, I can't believe they showed that. But that's what More real, real violence yeah. looks like. Yeah. And this really did happen. That's how they got set up and they got lit up um, and they killed a bunch of people. They killed 13 people. people. Yeah. yeah. Including, so, I, they, I think of the 13 people, they killed nine were police officers. So they were really not big fans of the law. I think it's also important to know about the context of this film. So though it was made in 1967, it's really talking about like the depression recession era in America. So Okay, so my criticism that I just mentioned was like, so in the beginning, we meet Bonnie, she sees this guy like fucking trying to steal her mom's car, she goes outside and she confronts him. And then like five seconds later, she's like, cool, I'm gonna come with you. And now I do crimes, right? Like, I just think for me, the beginning of this film lacked (laughs) a little bit of character development. Agree or disagree, you guys? I agree with that. It did unfold a little more as the story went sure. on, but I was, I, I was a little, I was a little surprised. Yeah, I guess, I guess jarring. they just, how, how do you get her in there? I was going to say, I don't think I needed it. Really? To be honest. Yeah. I mean, knowing the history, because it's based on a true story, right? See, if you so, don't know the history, yes. like I didn't. So I was yeah, like, what's okay. going on here? Yeah. Valid. Um, but yeah, it's just like, Hey, let's fucking get into it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was beautifully shot that opening with her her skin and Mm -hmm. her i mean it was stunning and that shot of her with the bars from her bed Mm. kind of quiet right looking like a jail yeah saying anything i I really so rough behind the scenes knowledge they told faye dunaway to lose like 20 pounds before this uh shoot so she was she was fasting for days only occasionally eating a salad she had a weighted belt and weights on her arms and legs that she would only take off to shower and sleep or maybe yeah and obviously no she didn't wear them in bed. she does she does look gorgeous but she does look very slight mm-hmm. in that opening shot so maybe you're right maybe if you know the history you don't need it yeah. did you see all the women that were up for this oh yes it was up for it um yeah it was jane fonda natalie wood sharon tate leslie carson and margaret so i think multiple multiple of them backed out 
probably they were working on other things. And Warren Beatty, who was a producer on this film, he actually didn't want Faye Dunaway at first. And then it went, he was like, all right, Penn, you go check her out. And then Penn's like, no, she's perfect. And, and then, yeah, she got the role. Oh, wow. I think they're, I think they're really dynamic together. Obviously Gene Hackman is like gold and we have so loud. He was loud. (laughs) He was loud. But then we have Gene Wilder who keeps like circling us with all these films. It was his first first. ever film. Yeah. I thought he did a great job. Great job. So I do too. They were so obscure. That's what I loved about them. They, they didn't, I guess you're right though. They didn't need to have all this backstory. They were just there and they, well, impacted. They did. I, they impacted. I, I felt a little confused. I guess I should have. Well, I no. You know what? Fuck it. You can always enjoy theater and film however you want. I had no backstory. I'd heard the names Bonnie and Clyde. I knew they were like a couple, but I didn't know. Maybe that's on me. I've had just the Jay Z no, and Beyonce song. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just know a little bit about them from myth. I know that they were bank robbers. I know that they were you know, these romantic figures, but. Yeah, I mean, okay, so then when you research the history a little bit, so the film is not completely true to history. So two things I'll bring up. One, they kind of make Clyde's character seem like something's going on sexually, right? Impotent. impotent. They they wanted him to be um, bisexual. Bisexual, yeah. Yeah, But they thought it was going to take away from the, the rest of the story. Right, so in real life he did not suffer those problems i did go down a bit of a rabbit hole and i definitely want to read more about this couple because again i think they were products of the recession era that they were living in but the deep in my rabbit hole i did read that um clyde possibly was raped in prison by a oh. fellow inmate and that made him a little bit like obviously as you would imagine like uh you know, sensitive about sex and stuff like that. But it wasn't until years later that the homeless, because some people in history have said like, oh, maybe he was a homosexual. And even when I was watching the film, I was wondering if he was gay because he's not touching her, but he seems to really love her or whatever. But yeah, that was something that came up years later, like around the time of the film, that people were sort of insinuating that. So I'm glad that that didn't play a big part in this film. Do you know what was a little creepy? when they were at dinner for the first time and he's like, I don't like that. Change it to her hair. I was like, what the oh, fuck? I agreed. I yeah. was like, okay, now like we're getting insights into his little picture uh, windows into, into, into the character. character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The narcissist but, with the, you they know, both, they both had anxious. interesting, interesting character things. Like she was very well-dressed, very like obsessed with her appearance, you know, very trendy um, by all accounts. So Blanche, I want to bring up the character because I found her to be, almost unbearable in this film. So she's the sister-in-law and the entire film, she's basically just screaming like, and almost gives them away multiple times for no reason. She's just like the quintessential hysterical woman in this film. Um, What I was reading was, okay, so Bonnie is meant to be this gorgeous woman. She's so stylish. By many accounts, Blanche was actually more attractive than Bonnie. I don't know how relevant that is to history, but I just think it's, and then they actually spoke to her because she survived, obviously, spoiler alert, and they gave her a copy of the script and then they changed it afterwards. And she took someone to see the movie with her on opening night and she was very embarrassed and tried to sue Warner Brothers. Oh, wow. For her depiction, because guys, I cannot undersell how hysterical she's just like, she's running with a cake knife. She's screaming in the car. She's, you know, 
And it's just, it's wonderful. Estelle Parsons, who, who plays uh, Roseanne and uh, Roseanne's mom, right? And yep. Roseanne. Is that and she's correct? a big, she's a big theater actress. She was actually nominated for, and I believe she won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress. And she had never been to the Academy Awards. Warren yes. Beatty had to fly to New York to pick her up to take her to the Academy Awards. She won for, yeah, for this. And then, um, Cinematography Oscar winner, and then I've had two, four, six, eight uh, other nominations. Wow. The studio okay. hated this movie what, from yep. what I read. Did they you won- see? Okay, so Warren Beatty, they the studio was like, all right, we're going to give you a $200,000 salary. We don't think this is going to make any money. And we're giving you 40% of the like the net. And they're, they're, he was like, all right. And then it didn't do the greatest opening. And then I think because of some of the reviews, but somebody at the New Yorker wrote a good review about it. And then it started to get more traction. The studio started putting more uh, stu- um, theaters and then it made over 50 million. So mm-hmm. Warren Beatty cleaned up because he got 40% of whatever the total was, at the end of the day, which <laughs> yeah. is nuts. No actor will ever get a deal like that. I don't think again. Oh, it's crazy. Insane. I think Faye yeah. Dunaway um, in presenting his lifetime achievement awards at the American Film Institute <laughs> does a poem about that oh wow and says how smart he was getting the back end points yeah, <laughs> it's nuts. it's like it's like lucas with his like toy deal with star wars you know yeah. that nobody thought yeah yeah i mean it is interesting again like as an artist i mean olivia you know you're an artist you're it's like you have to bet on yourself like warren knew there was something it's like what mm-hmm. you were saying about your story you were in a room where seriously someone was trying to dim your light before you even had a chance to get up on stage and says 99% of actors don't work. And you're saying to yourself, well, I'm the 1%. Warren Beatty was literally like, this is an important film. I'm going to do it. I like it. And it's like kind of a good lesson in like not listening to what people say. Like don't Absolutely. fucking let anyone cut you down before you've had a chance to. Follow shine. your heart. Yeah. Yeah, but- yeah, you do. We have to rely so much on our own backbone and our own intuition. And I have to say, I mean, he's so sexy. Yeah, I just couldn't stop. I, I could not stop looking at his mouth. I we've was just done like another so movie with him. Blown oh, away. Was it, was it hairspray? It was um not hairspray, hair. No. So yeah, what is it? I have to look at. There's it. a hair movie because he was a. He played. Uh, he he, he t- plays a. Uh, yeah, look at me pulling up my um age like milk on Spotify <laughs> so I can remember. But he yeah. plays like a sexy hairstylist. There was. But I didn't get it at that point. But with this movie, I was like, okay, like yeah, he's a very handsome man. And they had chemistry. Yeah, I like, felt they really a did a. Especially with a character that was having intimacy issues. I, mm-hmm. I thought, I just thought, wow, that I, I thought that complexity was really interesting to watch. Still a lot of chemistry. Yeah. Okay, so we were in the ballpark, David. The film that he, he is in in 1975 <laughs> is called Shampoo. So ah, we were, <laughs> we were hair, hair, hair. Uh, and in so, that, in that, he plays like this suave, sexy, like hairstylist in LA. And I remember talking in that podcast episode about like how sexy I thought he was. Um, mm-hmm. But I do, obviously, it's hard because now he's like an older man, you know, he's getting on in years, but you go back and revisit the films and you're like, damn, Warren could get it. You know, he could <laughs> yeah. fucking get it. Absolutely. But I agree with you. I also thought the dynamic between C.W. Moss. So, okay. So historically, Bonnie and Clyde had a bunch of associates. And so they were the Barrow gang, his brother, his sister-in-law, the hysterical Blanche, but not really the sexy Blanche. And C.W. Moss is this character in the film that's kind of an amalgamation of all those people. But let's talk about him in this film. So he's Mm -hmm. kind of this like 
weird. I want to say he's kind of like got this like he's clearly attracted to like Bonnie and he kind of like idolizes them. But again, in this true movie fashion, they rock up to petrol station. They're getting gas. He basically like sort of knows who they are. And then they say like, you know, we rob banks or whatever. And then lo and behold, he's just like steals from the register, jumps in the car. Now he's along for the ride. Like what's going on? Come on. Yeah. I, I liked that. <laughs> I, don't you, don't you all dream when you're doing one of those side jobs that, you know, someone, someone, come someone comes and picks us up yeah. and sweeps us off into the sunset. Man. I do feel like it took a while. Cause he was like, Oh, uh, like he kept he kept spinning in circles thinking about it, mm-hmm. and then he was like, "All right, I'm coming." And I was just like, <laughs> "Yeah, it was weirding me out a little bit." Yeah, you like he, in or out. Yeah, he weirded me out, but I guess that was that was good for the movie, right? Yeah, he was he was just also kind of almost like a sycophantic, you know, because like obviously yes. you've got the brother, and then you've got this character who's just like. Like in every scene of the sleeping arrangements, it's like it's like Blanche and what's his, the brothers in a bed, and then you've got Bonnie and Clyde in a bed, and poor CW is always on like yeah. the floor or on the couch. <laughs> so yeah. CW, they're originally he was supposed to be in a threesome with Bonnie and Clyde, yes, and that that's the, the, the direction they wanted to go. I wanted to ask both of you if there's one person in this world that pulled up on you and was like, "Hey, let's go do crime for a couple months." would it is there any person that would make you do that like um bonnie did with clyde any anybody in the world would you go do crime with i might go do crimes with bonnie she's pretty seemed like she had some pretty good style and i'd be like you know okay. she seems cool i mean i don't want to do crimes i don't like wanna... so i'm saying like somebody pulls up on you tomorrow like is there anybody in well, the world that was like oh hey, like in my yeah, or do this. oh i was like yeah, in your real life oh yeah if okay. Selva pulls up i'm going to crimes for sure yeah that's that's what i'm saying yeah so yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I was oh, wondering yeah. if there's like anybody that would turn you to a life of crime. Oh yeah. 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 If I was standing outside, you know, doing a job and Oprah pulled up, hell yeah, I'm getting in. <laughs> I would watch that movie. <laughs> yeah. You and Oprah doing crimes. <laughs> doing crimes. <laughs> Directed by you Michael. You get a Bay. bullet and you get a bullet and you get a bullet. You all get bullets. Oh my god. I also good. but I also think like, you know, I mean, doing crimes now seems like I don't know if it's worse. I feel like it's worse because, you know, Clyde's character got out of jail because he cut off two of his own toes. Like, I don't think it's that easy to get out of jail anymore. You know what yeah, I'm saying? He, he didn't want to be like on the chain gang or do hard labor. So yeah. he cut his mm-hmm. two toes off. But this is also around what there's a bunch of other criminals that were like idolized around that time that they were coming up and doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. And like to your point, um, you know, people had it pretty hard and they looked at banks like, now, like take from the banks, kind of give back to the poor, be good to the people. So you, they pull up on that one bank and the guy's like, is that your money? No, you keep that. We're taking the bank's money. Mm-hmm. So they weren't after people that were poor, middle class. They were looking to, you know, break the establishment. Which was really interesting because that parallel is in ambulance mm-hmm. in the sense that you kind of go is, you know, how, how bad is this person because they're oppressed in you know within the system trying to get money for his wife's cancer treatment mm-hmm. um it's that the corporation won't yeah. fund that's mm-hmm. exactly right and i thought i also thought um the quote this quote from arthur penn was really interesting who directed it he said 
a society would be wise to pay attention to the people who do not belong if it wants to find out where it's failing. I like um, a lot. That's what he basically spoke about in reference to the film. I think Senate and Congress and the president, that should be like in the halls because yes. I feel like at any point in American history, that would be something you could just rip off and say that quote. Mm-hmm. And that would speak mm-hmm. to what's probably going on. Exactly. Right? There's always this class that's kind of getting screwed over, fucked over, trying to yeah. grind and pull their way up. 100%. So. And, and Clyde just wanted to be remembered for something, which... Which I think is a little bit different than going to do something because you're poor or you're Agreed. sticking up for the little person. Because there were criminals around this time that were just... They wanted to be infamous. They wanted their names out there ringing bells. And I want to go down as one of like the toughest criminals to ever do it type of thing. Yeah, that's why the, 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 the duplicity of that within his character, that kind of narcissism wanting to be remembered, but then also not taking money from people when, yeah. <laughs> unless it is a corporation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just quite interesting. There are lots of colors in there. Yeah. I mean, there's a great scene in this film where they basically like hide out in an abandoned house and then they hear a noise, they go outside and it's the previous homeowner and he, the bank owns his house now. And then his neighbor comes over, this man of color, and they all take a shot at the the bank sign, which is kind of like a great metaphor for this entire film, really. It's just at the end of the day, it's, I think, though, they did in the movie, at least, I don't think in history they were this like this because it's you know obviously like changed around a lot but you know they definitely love to pose for beautiful pictures in the film they definitely you know would send their own pictures to the newspaper they you know in the movie bonnie writes this poem and uh apparently that wasn't actually published until after her death because by her mother but in the film it's like she writes a poem and it's all about them and then she sends it into the paper and they print it and so like they're getting a little bit of excitement from being in the news yeah, like she didn't want to smile. She wanted the cigar and she wanted mm-hmm. the gun in her hand. Yeah. And then she had she had that conflict internally too because she missed home and she wanted to be next to her mom. Her mom's like, no, you need to keep running. Like she's going to die if you don't keep running, which yeah. is, was, was tough yeah. for her. I just loved it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it, it's interesting in a historical sense for cinema, also exploring this time. I don't think any of us can truly imagine what it was like. You know, if you think about it, this movie had only come out 30 years after the Dust Bowl, after this terrible economic situation in America that many people that were seeing this film probably remembered, you know, the grandparents or the parents. So I think it's culturally significant to remember that and why they were the way that they were because life was just so shit back then, you know, when this movie was technically set. So yeah, I mean, I do think it's important. It's been preserved now in the archives for American cinema. Roger Ebert, who had just started writing about movies six months prior to this movie coming out, said it was one of the most important films he'd ever seen and like, you know, really, really rated it. So yeah, I think everybody should go watch it. What do you guys think? Oh yeah, I think so. I, I think visually it's stunning. If you're not an actor, you'll still get something out of it. But if you are an actor, I think it is a very interesting film because of how they deal with that live violence and the um, the intimacy and just to see a woman being so sort of physical. And I didn't feel that she was less than in the, in the action scenes. I felt like she was really on par 
they were really on par together and they did feel like a dynamic duo. And that's and then you, and then you had Blanche who was just screaming. Um, so she mm-hmm. was not a good representation of women, but at the same time, you know, it's all no. the, all the colors of the rainbow, like you were saying, it's all, it takes all sorts. And then you've got the random girl that they pick up who is another version <laughs> of a woman, you know, with Gene Wilder's character. Yes. And the mom, that you've was got, very you get to, you get to meet Bonnie's mom. Who's kind of like, you know, very much like destroyed by everything that's going on. And she was actually a real person that was there while they were filming that scene. They found her in the field and they cast her. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, so she's I a real that. Yeah. And obviously something we always have to talk about in this podcast is the representation, not a whole lot of um, colored, colorful people in the film. All right. <laughs> Wasn't going to bring this up, but I was upset because they're shooting at that bank sign, right? And the black mm-hmm. dude comes up, he gets the gun, and he looks at the white guy like, oh, I, can I do this? Commission. I'm like, man, fuck that guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, dude, you're, you're a grown man. Do whatever you please. And that just brought back to me, like, oh, mess. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. look to the white man for approval on something. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, oh, fuck yeah. that shit. So I'm getting a little like hairs on my neck right now. But anyways. <laughs> well, I, I, I thought I, the same thing. I was yeah. like, hang on. Yet again, when we look at historical pictures, mm-hmm. this happens in Australia too. I'm not seeing anyone like me. Yeah. Not yeah. seeing anyone, you know, somebody of color. It's just, it's very, it's, it's very interesting and very frustrating. 1930s yeah. would not have been a good time for people of color, you know, like, uh, yeah. So Definitely. I I misread that scene. I thought it was the white guy's house and it was his neighbor and that's why he was looking to him for permission like can I shoot at your house? But No, I think they both worked there. Got it. Got yeah. it. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a bit mm. And then of course yeah. there's no other people of color at all. Nobody in the bank, nobody in the towns, yeah. nobody. No, I, like, I saw one I saw one man sitting on the park, Yeah, when they parked the car. <laughs> okay. I mean, uh, when he parks the car and he like you should have stayed in front of the bank. That's um, exactly the first right. robbery they yeah. did. Yeah, there's a guy sitting out there. I did notice that. But, but yeah, so, you know, lighter so topic. This, color. this inspired a fashion fad uh, back mm. to the 30s. Uh, like people were wearing uh, berets again. And they went from, I have no idea what this is, but a mini skirt to a maxi skirt. Like around this time, this movie well, came out. Mini skirts, like up on the thigh, maxi skirt would be like down to the ankle. I Longer. Think. Yeah, yeah. So it brought back like 30s fashion. Okay. Um, which yes. is amazing. Amazing. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Um, well, it's getting closer to the end of the podcast, guys. We have covered some things. Before we get into our thanks and before we get into deciding if this film is aged like milk or not, let's take it back to Olivia for a hot second because we're so fortunate <laughs> to have her as a guest. So, Olivia, if you could give a piece of advice to a coming up actor who's maybe, you know, got somebody in their life, like someone just telling them to not even bother getting up and auditioning because there's no fucking point. Um, what would you tell this aspiring creative little angel that might be listening right now? I would say angel, listen to that voice inside you and don't take no for an answer. Absolutely don't trust your own light and keep moving well forward. Very well said. And then are we allowed to ask? I know there's lots of exciting things happening. Obviously you don't get to be in a Michael Bay movie and then nothing else, you know, happens. That's it. You just, the curtains. Um, like it's done. Yeah, yeah you're done. You're, you've hit the pinnacle now. Um, but you're in LA now full time. And have you got anything exciting that you can tell us about coming up? 
Well, uh, since the premiere, uh, I have auditioned for something very exciting and I have my fingers crossed and waiting to hear back. Okay. Well, um, sending you some positive vibes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I really, I really hope it goes well because um, it's it's just really nice to be able to ride the momentum and and tell stories and jump into characters and yeah, that's that's the whole point of it. I get to play. Hell yeah! Mm-hmm. And then, um, are you going to see your good friend Jake Gyllenhaal again anytime soon? What a what a lovely human he is. Ah, oh, isn't he? Isn't he ever? He's so sweet. Even at the premiere, you know, we just go, hi, hi. And uh, and he's just like, I just said to him, you're so good in this. Because I'd already seen a, a pre-screening at Bay's house for a couple of us cast. And I just was like, Jake, you, you, you just you really, because I knew how difficult the shoot was in terms of trying to get everything done in, in 38 days. I was like, you just nail it. You sell it. And he was so sweet is like nice like ah you know being really self-deprecating and (laughs) being very complimentary of me and I was like you're just a gentleman you know really a really good guy really good guy I'm really excited to see everybody continue to do stuff Yaya Isa like it's just such a I mean Isa is like uh, Jake is obviously amazing and it's same with it's a, it's like a really small group of people that like carry like the majority of the film there's yes. a lot of people in the beginning that you would recognize like I loved seeing the guy from Ghosts CBS I forget his name the Viking guy yes. that he gets killed immediately like pretty much immediately <laughs> it's like oh he's not really in this film but Isa does such an amazing job um I cannot wait to see all these people continue to succeed and everybody that worked on the movie, you know, it's, it's such a team effort. So it really is. I have to say that it was one of the best crews I've ever worked with ever, you know, just really, really brilliant from top to toe. And listen, that's what happens when you surround yourself with the best of the best. I mean, Michael Bay can hire whoever the fuck he wants at this point. So we're so honored that you decided to come on our podcast and that you get to share these stories with us. So yeah, oh, it's totally my pleasure. I'm so glad that I turned up to that Women in Film I know, me too. Uh, Australian consulate event because then we never would have met. And, and now we're really now we're friends. And yeah, I also was a plus one to that event. So it was very fortuitous that we both rocked up and both went for the bar. So. Straight for, yeah. Straight to the bar. <laughs> we, we knew where to stand. We, we know our way. lanes. We go to the bar. It's like a beacon. Um, but speaking of the village that it takes to make a film, I think it is now time to give a shout out to someone from the cast or crew. I am going to go first, cause I never go first. Um, and I am going to give my shout out to Dee Dee Allen, who was the editor of the film. And this film has such an interesting editing technique. So just a little backstory on films pre Bonnie and Clyde. They would oftentimes shoot someone and then they would cut away and then they would just see like a dead body riddled with bullets, right? So this was obviously totally iconic in the way that they had squibs, they shot the violence. And I think the the, the editing in this is really unique. It's, it's a little bit jarring sometimes. They keep shots for a bit longer than you would think, or sometimes it's quick cuts. So Dee Dee was a boss, bitch. Um, she also edited... Um, Dog Day Afternoon, The Hustler, Wonder Boys, Reds, Fireflies in the Garden. Um, I mean, so many things. John Q. Amazing. Yeah, we love to see it. So, Didi, thank you. We see you and we appreciate you. And yet again, yet again, a a wonderful female editor. I I actually have to say I do think cis female editors um, 
just really pip pip the gentleman at the post i think they really do love to see a lady in the edit because let's be real a lot of a film can be made in the edit i am proudly with an editor i see how hard he works it's not a very glamorous job um but very important absolutely i think there are three incarnations you you know you have the the writing Mm -hmm. of the script that happens and that kind of gets everybody together on board Mm pre-production then you have the actual shooting Mm -hmm. and and everything that you get in the can and then third incarnation of the film is the actual edit Mm -hmm. it all together completely different they're like make this make this a story make it work yeah oh god okay olivia who have you got to give a little shout out to well i actually am looking for I really want to be able to see if there was a stunt person because oh. I have so much respect Hell for the yeah. stunt coordinators. Hold on. I went to the cast crew. Well, yeah. yeah, there's a bunch of stunties listed. They're all, well, I can tell you right now that all George. All uncredited? Yeah, they're all uncredited. Ah, George, interesting. George Sawaya was Warren Beatty's stunt double, and I feel like he did a lot of action-y things. So, yes. We can always give George a little shout out. Let's shout out to George. Let's shout him out. He he died in 2003 at the age of 80, but he did so many things. He did Escape from New York. He did Batman. He did Repo Man. He did Voyages. Oh, my God. He just did so many things. And listen, you're right. Wow. Dunties are the best. So They're incredible. Go, George. Go, George. We see you and we appreciate you. On you, George. We appreciate you. All right, David. (laughs) On you. Okay. I'm going to go with uh, Burnett Guffey, who was a cinematographer. And I went with him because he actually quit during the shooting of this because he was at odds with the director director hired somebody else and the director was like oh shit i think i fucked up and then went back and and worked with uh guffy to come back and he finished it and then he won an oscar for this movie oh. yeah so i think what happened was is this director was being a little too pushy not letting burnett guffy do his thing and they were butting heads and then he realized that maybe he was doing way too much and stepping on the toes of this other artist in the mm. cinematography department right so he had to go back make amends and and then they finished this movie so he's got over 103 credits um he passed away in 1983 but yeah he's he's has two oscars and legend a great career in the in film so Burnett Guffey, rest in peace, my guy. And we Go, see Burnett. you, we appreciate you. We see yes. you and we appreciate you. Well, guys, it's getting to that time where we have to decide if the film has aged like milk or not. But Olivia, before we go there, where can people find you on social media? Oh, really? The only social media I kind of use is Instagram. I don't use Twitter. And my Facebook is, my Facebook's there, but I, um, Nobody uses Facebook anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I was just going to say it's really just to connect with yeah, message with the, people with the, with the peeps back mm-hmm. home. But yes, I'm Olivia Stambolia on Instagram, and I believe That's- you have the blue check mark. You are verified now. Is this correct? That is correct. Universal wow. Pictures has verified me as a human. Human. Uh, <laughs> She's being- real. Don't worry about it, guys. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, oh, now- it, it, nothing, nothing exists until you're verified. No, I mean, I mean me, David and I aren't. So we're just like basically we're not figments. Real, yeah. 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 <laughs> we're we're the, bots. We're Blanche's <laughs> scream in the night. Just, ah, we're gone. <laughs> we're gone. 
um hysterical <laughs> scream which i will never get over as long as i live uh, i know so, i have to say it was too much it was a lot and i feel bad for that real life person who was like what the fuck and also for that actor who must have been really like sore of throat i hope they had lozenges for mm. her on set so though yeah. on that note david william rogers you go first show us how it's done has this film aged like Ooh. milk yes or no um okay so i'm gonna say it did not age like milk um there was parts of this movie i was like oh my god it's kind of slow i had been drinking till three in the morning the night before i watched this so my attention was a little off but um you know thinking back about this movie working today and then reading about it last night stuff like that it it really did push it up for me right after the fact and i loved the just the emotional like acting and depth that um that Faye Dunaway had and Warren Beatty so I, I thought they were great in this and Gene Wilder the other Gene he I, he was just very loud <laughs> but, <laughs> but besides that I thought this was a great movie and I love like some of the cutaways they did like you said that um that French style yeah. era that they were kind of trying to emulate and yeah overall i thought it was great very violent movie but some of those really stuck out to me and made an impact on me while watching this so yeah i, I think this movie holds up nice what about you olivia what do you think i think this film has aged like a fine wine mm-hmm. i really i really enjoyed it i had only known little hearsays about it and to actually have absorbed it and uh I sat for the whole thing really enjoyed it walked away being um challenged and inspired to look to kind of research it Mm -hmm. and look it up and do exactly what you both did I think it I think it's visually stunning I think emotionally it's fascinating because it is jarring and absorbing and I just think it's such a nice um it's such a nice holler back to the 30s, that kind of, those those pictures back then, even though it was, you know, made in 67. Yeah. It just that fashion um, was stunning. So, yeah, I think it has absolutely aged like a farm wine. Very cool. Okay, well, I think this movie aged like the getaway car in that... <laughs> It still exists. It's still very culturally important. I don't think you could drive this car. Um, It's not roadworthy. Yes, the car still exists. Apparently the real car for a while was touring with the two mothers of Bonnie and Clyde, which is such a like 40s, 30s and 40s thing to do where it's like, "Mm, come look at this the car that these people died in that got shot to hell. Um, Because spoiler alert, they got killed um, by the police, FYI. Uh, however, I do think it's very interesting. I think that I loved it more from knowing the history, like you were saying. I think it's a very important piece of American history, just because like it gives you an insight into how terrible like the recession was and stuff. Um, but I do think we need. And I was reading all these things, and it was like, oh, and it was the first time they glorified. Um, like people that did bad things and then i was thinking about all the like marilyn manson movies and like you know all these like murderers that we've made shows out of that people binge watch uh so i think we need to stop idolizing people that do bad things but 
these guys were kind of Robin Hoodish. So yes, I, that's what I will say. I'm glad that we watched it. 100% agree with you. Yeah. Anyway, that is our show for now. Olivia, as I've said several times, thank you so much for coming on and joining us. Thanks for recommending this movie to us to watch, even though you yourself had actually not really seen it. And <laughs> she's like, oops. <laughs> um, we're so excited to have you back in a little bit sometime down the line, see what you're up to. And yeah, sending you good vibes. Thank you so much. Anytime. It was such a pleasure. Yay. Okay, for now, that's it. David, you should go ahead and check your fridge. And make sure that milk ain't spoiled. Gross milk is gross. Make sure you follow us on all the socials, watch movies, appreciate history. That's it. See you later. Don't go robbing any banks. Bye. (laughs) Bye.